0: Hey, would you do me a couple of favors? I'm going to summarize one scripture today, and then we'll read another. While our worship team finds their places, would you open your Bibles just for a second to uh, the book of First Samuel? And there's actually three chapters that I want to hint at here, but I'm going to I want you just to see them and to see where they are, so later on you can return to them if you would like to. So we have the Pentateuch there, and we have Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Um, These historical books in there. And then we have first Samuel first Samuel. I just want to point out to you the first three chapters is this amazing story that we're familiar with, because um, when we looked at the life of Mary at the Christmas season and we looked at the, the Magnificat, the song of Mary, do you remember me saying this song is word for word with one sentence exception? The, the song of another woman who had gone before Mary, maybe, maybe a thousand years before the time of Christ. And her name was Hannah. And, and the story of Hannah encompasses the first three chapters. That's why I'm not going to actually read it to you. But I just want to remind, it, remind you of it this morning. And then we'll accent some parts of that story uh, as a part of our opening of God's Word today. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. And and, and a, in a challenging and difficult circumstance, she wasn't his only wife, and and uh, and to make things worse, Hannah was childless in a culture where you were measured by your children. Uh, and and before we are too quick to judge that culture, that to a certain extent we still play into that sometimes, don't we? Uh, and and but to not have a children in that culture was was anathema, not only in the sense of of her sense of relationship. Uh, as a as a young woman, but especially later on when when she was old, if her husband passed away, she had no heritage at all, with no children. And to make matters worse, uh, Elkanah's other wife, Penina, had had many children, and 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 that's just got to be so hard when you can't have children, and and right there in your household is a woman who's having all kinds of children. Uh, and well, I almost said something I would have regretted, I'm, but. Uh, but Elkanah was not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? Elkanah um, sees her genuinely suffering and says what probably I would have said, or many of the men in this congregation would have said, says to her, but Hannah, aren't I better than ten children? Right? And, and never, men, never say that to your wife because you don't want to hear the answer, okay, to that one. Um. But um, Elkanah takes his, his family, Penina and his children and his wife Hannah and they go to the temple. And Hannah's praying in the temple and in a really spectacular story. Um, uh, she's so overcome in the presence of God, um, so overcome that she's worshiping without saying anything and her lips are moving and, um, and, and she's crying out to God. And in and, and another Poor example of of interpreting the situation. Eli, who struggled to raise his own sons, his sons were wicked beyond measure. God ultimately put them to death because of their wickedness. Eli, the high priest, sees her praying to God and 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 rousts her for being drunk in the sanctuary. And, And she says, "Oh, sir, I'm not drunk. I'm I'm crying out to God. I'm praying. I'm praying." And I don't know, honestly, what his attitude when he, was, when he said this was, but, but Eli said something to her. He said, may God grant you what you ask of him. And Hannah went home, and God granted her what she asked of him, gave gave her son, Samuel, the Lord hears, right? Samuel. And, and so, so when Samuel's weaned, Uh, In in Jewish culture, the firstborn son was was dedicated to the Lord. Now, in most cases, what they meant was that was that um, we will make a special offering for him uh, as the firstborn and we will redeem him back to this family. and We'll keep him. Right. I'm glad they did that. That's what I want to do with my son. You know, Um, but Hannah had such faith that she actually your ESV says she lent him to the Lord. It's kind of a misnomer because the words actually she gave him to the Lord and entrusted him to Eli. Remember the guy? Remember Eli with the wicked sons? She entrusted her newborn son to Eli, and and Eli raised Samuel. Well, I'm not sure if the name Samuel is familiar to you, but Samuel became one of the great men of God of the Old Testament. God one time when he was a young man, he came to his room while he was asleep. You know the story and. And, he's, and he said, Samuel, I mean, if somebody says that, if I hear Dave in the middle of the night in my room, I'm going to jump up and get my broomstick or something to beat people off with, right? Samuel gets up and he goes to Eli. He says, what? And, a little different tone of voice, probably. And, and Eli says, nothing. Go back to bed. I didn't say anything. And Eli's perplexed and he, and he goes back to bed. And, excuse me, Samuel's perplexed and he goes back to bed. And, and he hears it again. Samuel. And he gets up and he goes to Eli again and says, what? And Eli says, I did not call you. Right? Go back to bed. It was, Eli finally figured out what was going on and said to Samuel, um, next time that happens, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. <laughs> I was thinking about this last night and, uh, and sitting there in the middle of the night. I said, if you woke me up, God, you want to speak, speak. Your servant is listening. And 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 so Samuel didn't. And the Bible is really clear. Samuel did not know the Lord at that time. The Bible says that he did not know the Lord. And and so Samuel hears this voice again. Samuel he says, "Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening." And God speaks into this young man's life. The message is terrible. The message that He gives him is that He's going to put to death Samuel's half brothers here, his adopted brothers. He's going to put to death Eli's sons. Um, But God begins this relationship with this young man that ended up blessing not just his family. His mom had five more children. Not just the community that they lived in, but blessed the whole people of God to the point where we're talking about him 3,000 years later. Wow. You think? You think that relationships aren't important? You think that parenting is not important. In God's economy, it's critical. Let me uh, take us back one more time to another passage. This is back in Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The fifth book of the Bible and the the fifth book of the Torah is Deuteronomy. And our our passage we've been working on is um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to pick up up the Shema one more time and then take it a couple verses further as some background to uh, our study today. Um, Again, for the second time in chapter 6, God says, this is really important, people. Listen, listen here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The NIV, if you're still using that, NIV says, uh, impress them on your children. I love that. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way. When you lie down and when you rise. Wow. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. And, and I understand this to mean now not your, the gates of your house, but the gates of the city and on your gates. This is the very word of God. Wow, wow. Uh, what a privilege to be able to come and explore together the amazing influence that God gives us over each other and over other people. We're celebrating that together throughout this soul-shaping uh, um, series that we're doing. But today especially, I want to anchor ourselves in this parenting. Now, I beg you, immediately some of you are going to want to check out because you're saying a couple of things. One is that I'm not a parent, and it's a very painful discussion. And, uh, and that's why I love the story of, of Samuel, because it was very painful for her. But God was moving even in the midst of her pain. Others of us would say, I've been there and done that. And, and, and I've raised my kids and now my job is over, right? How did that work for you, right? Because when they were 18, all of a sudden they just became fully mature adults and took care of themselves, right? And you never had any more problems, right? Um, or, or, you know, they had children, right? And remember the sins of the fathers are cast down on the children too. The third and fourth generations to our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, but righteousness to thousands or, or possibly to a thousand generations. So this job is not done, right? This job is not done. And my only fear is that if you, as Karen and I were for several years, you're in that place where you can't have children, it's, uh, and it's so painful for you to think about this, to talk about this. That's why I want you to, to understand God understands. And he hears your cry. And the story's not done yet. The story is not over. So I pray for God's grace to allow you to interact with his word, to grow through it, even though I know this might be a very painful thing for you. Well, let me just start by celebrating something with you. My first point here is to say, nobody has more potential to influence your child than you do. Nobody has more potential to influence your child than you do. I know that it's an incredibly intimidating job. I remember with each of my children when, when they were born, or I remember with, with Chelsea girl, and I never do this without asking them, but I never ask them, so they're used to it. But I, I thought, great Scott, they're letting me take this kid out of this hospital. They're crazy, they don't know what they're doing, right? And we got on a ferry with her and and, and of course, looking, this is the same ferry we'd come on over two days earlier. And a 1,000 people were looking down on us, this lady in labor on a ferry at 5 o'clock in the morning. And and now we're saying, look what I got. (laughs) This is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. You know, the one that really came to mind last night as I was thinking about this was um, the other child that's going to punch me out, Madeline, when she was born um, almost 16 years ago, um, it was by C-section, so Karen was taken off uh, to... um, to find healing on her own. And, and, and they let me come into the little incubator where Madeline was. And she was lying there on the, on the thing. She looked so alone, you know. And I'm thinking, God, what do I do? There's so all this plastic between me and her, you know. And and I found, I found a way to stick my hand under the, the plastic. And I'm not sure if I was supposed to or not, but nobody was around. And and, 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 and and I don't know that Madeline knew what she was doing. But I kind of weaseled my hand into her hand, you know. And she didn't know what to do with this. And. And her eyes weren't open, but it seemed like just for a minute that one eye kind of went like this, you know. And I'm sure she, I'm imagining it, but she kind of looked at me, and then, and then she just kind of lifted her head and looked up. And I just kind of imagined, she's saying, Oh, God, is this the guy that I'm stuck with the rest of my life? What were you thinking? You know? Um, and I'm thinking, Oh, God, don't let me mess this up. This is important. I know it's important. Don't let me mess this up. This is really important. But our culture says that that you don't influence your children or that you shouldn't influence your children or that you shouldn't trust them to myriad other resources or agencies or institutions to do what nobody else can do. And I just want to affirm again the powerful witness of all of Scripture that nobody has more potential to influence your child than you do. Don't don't give up. Don't abdicate. No matter where you are this moment, don't give up. You're still a primary influence. But more than more than this. This, this relationship is God-designed. This parent-child relationship is the most powerful relationship on the planet. Am I making that up? Right? we got a kid in, in, in Spain right now. It's killing me. What is that? What is that? Right? He's, this is what was supposed to happen. He's supposed to grow up and, and move away and go out and have adventures. Right? And, and the parent in me is going, I can't protect him over there. Right? This, this powerful relationship is, is powerful because it establishes the DNA for every other relationship that we have. And what's my justification for that? God chose to use this imagery. God is spirit, right? He doesn't have a right hand. Those scriptures says, my right hand upholds you. You know, he, he is spirit. But he chose this incarnate image of humanity and especially of a parent, of a father because that relationship establishes the DNA of every other kind of relationship that we experience. Now here's the problem. Some of us were were raised in wonderful homes with loving, intentional parents. We knew that they weren't perfect, we're not confusing them with God. Um, and, and still some things that were painful happened. But in general they set us up well. They gave us a, a foundation where, where we could have interrelate with other people, have people skills where where we could deal with our problems and others of us (laughs) didn't grow up in those kinds of homes. We didn't have that experience at all. If there was somebody even physically present, they weren't necessarily emotionally present and at worst they were beyond present. They were abusive. And that has impacted your life as well. Both of those, the negative and the positive, affirm again that that's the importance of parenting. Now, I've got some great news, and you heard me say this before, and I say it kind of a cheesy way, but I'm going to do it again. It's, it's it, bumper sticker theology, I know, but it's never too late to have a happy childhood. It's never too late to go in, and where there was brokenness, to bring forgiveness, even if those people have passed away. Um. We've discovered before that when you forgive, you you release not only that person from the sin, but you release the power of that sin over you, right? And and there's never a point in your life where where God doesn't say, oh, mm, didn't count for that. Sorry about that. You no, know, at any point, at any point, you can go back in, point by point, place by place, event by event, and bring the grace of God into it and redeem. Allow God to redeem. Those broken situations. So, so nobody has more power over our children than than we do. And this 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 relationship, this parent relationship, is this powerful one that guides the all the other relationships of our lives. And even if that is broken, then God can still bring redemption into each one of us, ones. And even if our childhood was broken here 's what 's true for all of us. every single person in this room will have the opportunity to break we saw last week the chains of the past to break generational sin that has governed our family trees for decades or generations and to plant a new future where where love does reign supreme where where God is sovereign over all of our relationships and where redemption happens. But we have to choose it. We have to choose to do this. Whether we have children of our own, we have this opportunity to bless future generations should the Lord tarry, if we will step into that grace which Christ has offered us. Let's make no mistake, there's not one of us here that is really qualified to do this, to interfere, as it were, for positive or negative in someone else's life. There's none of us who are qualified to, to be parents. The simple truth is that we struggle with this because we're not qualified, because we're not perfect. Remember last week we talked about the baggage? We've got this baggage. And, and we're not equipped to give our children everything they need emotionally or spiritually or even physically sometimes. Some of us can relate to. There's a comedian, Jim Gaffigan, who said one time, I feel unqualified, or he said, sometimes I feel unqualified to be a parent. He said, I call these times awake. (laughs) Um, That's reality. That is reality. But God asks you don't give up, don't surrender this amazing privilege I've given you to influence other people's lives. Don't abdicate your responsibility to be the physical, emotional, and spiritual source of life for your children. So, so I want to just affirm that one of the greatest institutions and one that's under the greatest attack in our culture today is this institution of family. And, and yeah, we can fight politically and, and, and try and get bills passed and all those kinds of things to try and protect something. But the greatest, the greatest tool is just to live it just to do it, just to put God's Word into practice. Why? Because it's so winsome. When you see that health and wholeness, it's so winsome that people say, what is the deal with you? And, and we're quick to say, it's not with me at all. God loves me so much that, that He not only dealt with my brokenness, but gives me a path to walk on to bless my children as well. But, so I just want to celebrate for a second. You have everything you need to be God's man or woman, to influence your children and other generations, other people's children, for, for the grace of God. I can't tell you, was it... Oh, it was two weeks ago. I'm losing my mind how long ago it was. But I'd asked some of the men of uh, of Olivet to just pray for my son before he went off. And, and Karen came up and put her hand on my back as we were praying and... And I, I just was so blessed by the prayers of those men. They just surrounded Matt. And these are men that loved him when, from, from that, remember that night he was in the Christmas stocking, you know, uh, to, to um, now this fully grown man. Here's the deal you are the most powerful influence over your children that the world has ever seen. But it takes more than you. It takes more than you. Um, Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village. But again, she was accessing a book that had been written a couple years before that by the same title. And they were accessing this phenomenon. They kept seeing in multiple African cultures where they lived in villages that recognized that this whole thing of passing on to a next generation takes the whole village to do this. Hannah recognized this, right? She, she has this. This precious child. And if I had been in her situation, I would have clung to him beyond measure. But she recognizes that that was not her job. She needed some other influence in his life as well. Even one that we would look back and say, whew, what were you thinking, girl? Um, but she trusted God and, and, and not just Eli. And she uh, gave her son to him. Well, here's the reality. The scripture says she lent Samuel to Eli. But the reality was is, is that God had lent Samuel to her. And God has lent to this village, certainly um, your family, but this village called Olivet. He's lent these children for such a short time. Someone calculated it. You know how long it is? 6,570 days. 6,570 days from the day your children are born until the day they turn 18 and in God's economy are, should be equipped and fully equipped to, to move on into adulthood. That's a short period of time. I calculated it for, for Madeline and, and it's almost over. It's almost over. I'm not saying that we won't love them and, and Lord willing influence them for Lord willing decades to come, but, but, but if we're really doing our job right, they have to entrust them at that point, to, we have to give their lives to them and entrust them to God. And I just want to say that you can't do that yourself. Um, Hannah recognized that she entrusted um, her children to a spiritual community. And I want to say to you, as I say to our preschool families who come and join us, or so I say to our uh, neighborhood families who come on Wednesday nights, wow, we recognize what you're doing when you entrust your child to the spiritual community. We take that responsibility very, very seriously. And, and, and when we dedicate a child to the Lord or baptize that child uh, before the Lord, remember how we carry him around? Remember when I'm talking to you? What am I saying? I'm, I'm introducing the child to you, and, but I'm also introducing you to the child. And do you remember what you do? At the end of that time, you do, don't you? I ask all kinds of vows from the parents because this is critical. You accept this responsibility to be the spiritual influence in this child 's life that you embrace this child as a gift of God, but you make a vow, beloved as the spiritual family of that child to enter into covenant relationship with that child to nurture them to in the admonition of the Lord to to love them and lead them into a deeper relationship with christ so so I don't want to minimize this influence of, of the parent over their children, but I want to recognize that you're not alone. And some of you courageously have embraced that. At, at times when, when, when you desperately needed someone to love you and to surround you, you embraced the larger body of Christ, and I celebrate that. I celebrate that. Now, uh, I want to recognize that to these two bodies, to the nuclear family and to the spiritual family, then God has given some challenges. And he's given, I think he's given some very powerful tools to how to influence our children and the children that God has entrusted to us through the body of Christ. Let me start by just saying we've got to be intentional about influence in, in this next generation. We have to be intentional we can't be just accidental. And I have to tell you, as a parent myself, I found some comfort some days in knowing that my son had a soccer practice because I knew what I needed to be doing for that next two hours, right? And and, and so what I let other people determine what my priorities would be. And 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 it's very easy to just surrender that process. But God says don't do that. As a nuclear family and as a spiritual family, let's be intentional about our children's lives. Let me ask two questions, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy to kind of get some very practical solutions. Two questions to help guide our thinking. The first one is this. Do you know who is influencing your children? Do you know who's influencing your children? Um, Wow. You don't have to go far. You're thinking, well, I check Facebook on a regular basis. Um, Great. Your children aren't on Facebook anymore. Right? Uh, um, I'm going to say Instagram and half a dozen other things, but they're probably at three generations past that. Um, There's amazing influences over your children. Do you know who's influencing your children? Um, Ask them. Ask them. Don't surrender this responsibility uh, in our in our men's imagery from the movie courageous um the imagery was don't take your hand off the wheel do you remember that don't take your hand off the wheel don't give up that responsibility and, and a simple solution by the way to that is just let your home be the center of, of activity in your neighborhood invite people to your home um will they turn the place up oh yeah um but I'd rather present to God three whole and healthy children than a whole house, right? I would rather present to Him three whole and healthy children. And so secondly, besides who's influencing your children, also are you proactive about influencing their lives? Are you proactive about influencing their lives? Here's this amazing thing. When you hear a scripture like Deuteronomy 6, do you... You used to come sometimes to that vulnerability just to, to say, that sounds like odd language. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And, and then you close the book and, you, and like thing, our fear in James, you know, we can't remember what it looked like, right? We cannot remember what we learned there. Open again, would you just for a second? Open Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look what he says here. It's phenomenal. And it, what's phenomenal also is how the culture has picked up on some of those things. And the culture does things that we don't do as, as followers of Christ, as spiritual family and as nuclear family, to bless and care for our children. First of all, let's just remind ourselves of where we've already been. He says in, in verse 6 now, so how do we put this greatest commandment into place? How do we, how do we impress it on our children? He says, first of all, uh, I'm going to use the parlance of the, uh, of the airline flights, put your own mask on first, right? If you fly very much, you know that in that long ritual that you fall asleep in, when they're talking about what to do in case of an accident, what do they say to do with the oxygen mask first? Right? Put your own mask on first. Why? Because if you pass out, you're not going to be able to help your children, right? If you miss God's plan for your life, how are you going to be able to pass that on to your children? So he says, And these words that I command you, in other words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You've got to start with your heart. And you got to say, how is God's word transforming my heart? Remember the imagery of a partner? How am I allowing God to shape me? Because, I mean, choose the cliche, walk your talk or, or whatever. It's got to start with you. More is caught than taught, right? Those are, those are all true. Those are all true. That, that we have to let God do in us what we're asking him to do in our children. So start with yourself. And And... And let God's Word permeate your heart. Put yourself in situations where, where you can gain deeper understanding of, of God's plan for your life. And then He'll give you instructions on how to bless your kids. But look how quickly he moves on. So knowing that we are going to dedicate ourselves to letting ourselves be molded and shaped by God. Look at this. You shall, uh, in NIV, impress them on your children or probably more literally, you shall teach them diligently to your children. These things are really important. You've got to teach them to your children. So, so um, God, is, God is, is challenging us to be the primary voice which influences our children for his kingdom. How do we do that? And and this is where you you think this is just poetic repetition, right? No, He's giving you a blow-by-blow description of how you can do this. How are we going to diligently teach God's commandment, This that's encompassed in this great commandment to love the Lord and love our neighbors? How are we going to do that? Well, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way. Isn't that interesting? When you lie down and when you rise, he's saying talk about it. Talk about it. I mean, our culture's picked up on this, right? What do all the drug culture commercials say to do? Talk about this, right? Talk about uh, substance abuse with your children. Talk about the dangers. And God's saying, this is not new. I'm asking you now, talk about the love of the Lord with your children. When? When you rise up first song you sing every day, let it be praise to God, right? The first words out of your mouth, let them be praise to God. And then when you lie down, let me ask you, parents, if you had to name, we don't have time for this, but if you had to name two times that are powerful times to talk to your kids, right? We know, let me stop for a second, we know that you can't just say, I'm going to have quality time with my kids from 2 to 2.15 this afternoon, right? I can say that till the cows come home. The chances of that happening are like Zippo, right? Even if we're all sitting there with hands folded in the living room, right? Um, no, quality time just happens. But there are a couple of times when it seems to happen more often. I'm looking at you over there, Diane, when our children are about to fall asleep. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not sure if it's just that they don't want to go to bed, and so all of a sudden they're chatty Kathy, right? Um, I'm not sure if that's it. Or if there's just walls that come down when you lie down with your children. Um, what a great time to talk about God with them. But the one that gets me, it's so funny. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a taxi driver, as many parents are, right? Have you noticed the phenomenon that when you're taxi driving, you don't uh, exist? And, and the people in your taxi just talk like you weren't there. You want to find out what's going on in your kid's life? Taxi drive, right? Especially at night. It's like they don't see you. You don't exist, right? Um, what, what, you know, don't miss it because it said walk, right? They didn't have taxis in those days. But when you're moving from one place to another, that's a great place to talk with your kids, to spend time. Listen, if you've got a bunch of them in there or if you're with them alone, it's a great time. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that don't, don't be quick to turn on, even K-love, don't be quick to turn on those things. Don't be quick. We love books on tape. Talk. It's right there in Deuteronomy. When you rise up, when you lie down at home, when you're on the way, um, teach, he says, your children these things. Talk about these things. God's given us a roadmap for how to be proactive in our kids' lives. I I do smile. It's confusing. All this frontlets and phylacteries and all that kind of stuff. You might have seen a picture one time of a guy with a little box on his wrist. right? Um, The Shema starts with what is most deeply in you. And if you're in the Hebrew, then you're talking about your heart. If you're in the in the Greek, later on, it uses the word soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions start. Let that be transformed first, and then the second step of the Shema says soul, but it's not really soul. They didn't know what to do with the word. The Hebrew word for that it was throat. It was in speaking. The second word of the Shema is not soul. It's throat. And and the idea is that now what was in you and been transformed is starting to come out, and then the last word of that which we translate strength in Deuteronomy 6.4, is actually an adverb, mightily. And it's not inappropriate to translate it strength, but he's saying, do this with all that you are and all that you have. Do you see this concentric circles? Start with inner transformation. Ding, ding, ding. Right? Inner transformation. Let it permeate all that you are, all that you say and all that you think, and, and and then let it influence every aspect of your life with all your strength. Well, here he's doing the same thing again. Now he says, start with yours, your household. But do you see where he's going? Then start putting it on your forehead and on your wrists. Um, Probably 15 people in the room have an I am second bracelet on their wrist. Some of you have a radical bracelet. What are you doing when you're doing that? You're saying, this is important to me. If you have a radical bracelet on, you're saying, I'm... I am believing that I need to lay down my life and take up my cross and follow Jesus. Um, And I am second. You're saying, I want the world to know that Christ is first in my life and I'm second. You got a shirt on now? So he's saying, do this. See what's happening? Now it's moving from your family into the culture. uh, There's a description of what we call a mezuzah there. Put it on your doorpost, right? Write it on the doorpost. What else went on the doorpost? It was red and dripping. Went on the doorpost, right? What happened? There was no hiding at Passover the fact that either you believed God and put blood on your doorposts or you didn't believe God and you died. And he's saying, let that be true for your positive testimony now too. Write it on the doorposts of your house. Jewish people put the Shema on the doorposts of their house. Put God's word where people see it. Identify yourself as a follower of Christ with the culture. I said earlier that, that now your home is identified as a place where God dwells. You know, you're know, you hanging it out there. You're telling the world. Your cubicle is identified as a place where God is moving, right? Your workplace is a place, identified as a place. But what was that gates thing at the very end? Um, I don't think he's talking about the gates to your house because very few people had large enough houses that had gates out there and doorposts over here. He's talking about the gates of the city. He's talking about let your testimony begin with your life and your families, extend to your neighbors and friends, and transform your community. Wouldn't it be cool if Evansville moved from being one of the top ten worst places to live in the world to one of the best places to raise a family and to experience the grace of God? Wouldn't that be awesome? There's powerful forces that work in our community to bring that about. Obviously, God. But movements are, are transcending church lines. And uh, whether it's Community One or I Am Second or at or, uh, uh, a global level, Uncharted, other, other, there's movements going on to say, let's take our own names off of it, the names of our churches off of it, and let's transform this city. It's all there, beloved. It's right there in God's Word. The question is not, does God have a plan? And does he reveal that plan? The question is, what will we do with it? Will we embrace it? Or will we abdicate our responsibility? May God give you the grace to begin with your own heart and then let it permeate your family. May God give you the grace to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that there's no condemnation here at all. There's only invitation, God. There's only your, your beautiful invitation to partner with you in the redemption of your world. And thank you for these powerful tools that you give us. Thank you for families. God, I see so many families here together, and I celebrate that. But I thank you that, that no power on heaven or earth or under the earth can break a family that is, that is trusting in your word. And, and faithfully responding to your word. And so I just thank you, even for the broken families that are represented here. God, I, I thank you that your word is true and you've not abandoned us. And that one day, God, as a, as a community, we will look back and, and we'll say, Great God, how did in one generation a city become transformed from one of the worst places to be in the United States by popular opinion to one of the best places? God, how did... How did you redeem a family system that was marked by multiple generations of brokenness? God, thank you that you intervened. God, how did you take one solitary life that, that said, I believe you, God. I surrender my life, my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions to you. No, I can't wait. I can't wait for that day, God. But I do want to ask Today, God, if you would grant us a preview, no matter where we are, no matter what we're asking of you, if you would just grant us, Lord, some vision that this is already happening. And though we're not yet to the top of the mountain, with every step that we take, God, you're revealing more and more of your sovereign plan over our lives. God, grant us today a vision of what life can be like surrendered to you, what our families can be like surrendered to you, what our faith community can be like, what our city can be like. God, we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.